the wrong side of the red line, Dallas Stars Podcast. Here is your host, Sean Shapiro. How do you button a dress shirt? That's a trick question. No, it's not. It's actually right before we got on to record here, I saw Nick Bonino of Pittsburgh Penguins of Pittsburgh Penguins fame uh, tweeted that he uh, apparently guys on the team button their dress shirts from top to bottom. That is bananas. Never seen that before. Only normal way is to go button to t- bottom to top. Thoughts? Top to bottom every single time. Every time, right? Nick Benino just doesn't know how to button a dress shirt. I've, 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 I've kind of. Yeah, I don't know what barn Nick Benino was raised in, but I've never once done button bottom to top. Especially if you got like a tie on, like mm-hmm. you got to get that top button first. Or sometimes, I mean, I guess if it's some of the shirt, like dress shirts would never have the same measurements, despite what they say. So some shirts mm-hmm. I have that are a little tight in the neck. Some aren't. The ones that are a little tight in the neck, I'm like, I'm gonna button that one very last. So it'll be like. Top, bottom, 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 all the way to the top. Yeah, you never, sometimes, I mean, I often end up, I, if I'm driving somewhere and I'm not going to tie the tie before I leave, I won't do the top button before I leave, but you'll, but at least it's the second to top button and then go down. You never start at the bottom button. I've never, I don't think I've ever done that ever. I have to, no, I've never done it ever. No. I don't like dealing in absolutes because... There's no such thing as always and never, but I've never buttoned a dress shirt from bottom to top. I think if you did, though, there'd also be an, an issue of missing, and then you just have to redo the entire shirt. Yeah, you can exactly. miss on the you can you can miss on the bottom button. You can't miss if you're starting with the top button or the second to top button. No, exactly. When it's all flapped out and all jibbery jabbery like that and flowing in the wind, then you run a risk of, oh, that hole doesn't go with that butt, but you're going top to bottom, it's boom, right there, donezo. Let's see. Oh, an update on this. He even did a poll, and apparently, I think people are just placating him because 38% of people voted in his Twitter poll that they start at the bottom, and I really think those people are just placating him. Those people are lying. Or there's really that many animals in this world. 38 start at, at the moment at this moment at uh, one o'clock 115 on Monday it says start at the bottom 38 percent 54 percent start at the top and then eight percent some other way in and, and then in, in parentheses he has goalies that's a fair point goalies are I, weird I, I guess Go- so goalies yes. probably do every other button and then finish it off no no anywho Enough about dress shirts. Um, it's our last podcast of the regular season. When we talk, when we talk next week, we'll be doing some sort of season wrap and probably have some, probably have more information based on exit interviews and things like that. And by but, season wrap up, he means a post mortem autopsy. Correct. That is probably the best way to put it. Um, the and this week is talk about a. Talk about a schedule to end the week where no one will be watching as far as... If you're a Stars fan, you'll be watching, But if and if you're still watching. But if, as far as a national intrigue or anything like that, talk about the, the, the worst possible games to end the season with, of the final, of the three games to end the season, we get the Arizona Coyotes tomorrow night. Um, and then there's Nashville Thursday, but then Saturday the season ends with uh, a high-profile matchup with the Colorado Avalanche because uh, that's what everyone... Uh, 
Every, a lot of people. I'm not sure which game will be worse: that game with Arizona tomorrow, or the Colorado game on Saturday. See, if they were in the playoff race, that's the exact schedule you'd want to end with because that's uh, two tap-ins and a toss-up right there, theoretically. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, the schedule would have been nice. And now, <laughs> and you know what? On the flip side, it's probably that's probably what Nashville's saying right now. Oh, we get Dallas. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Dallas became the tap-in for Nashville. Yeah, Nashville clinched their playoff spot last night, and now it's like, oh, great, we can go start uh, – We'll probably, I guess they'll probably start UC Saros in goal or whatever in, on on Thursday. Give 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 Renee a night off. That's what I do. That's what I feel like. That's what everyone's been doing against Dallas the last half of the year. Oh, here you go. We're playing Dallas. We'll throw our backup out there. Yeah. It's uh, stars. Obviously, the season has not gone as planned. We've said that hundreds of times. Um, one thing that's been kind of actually interesting to watch over the past, over this past weekend and to watch over the final three regular season games is there's going to be jobs available next year. Um, there's going to be jobs available with the NHL club next year in the bottom six, um, whether it's because of who they don't decide to bring back or what happens with the expansion draft, there's going to be jobs available in the bottom six, um, for the likes of some of the guys who got recently called up. Um, we had Remy Alley. We've talked about him. He's been up for about, what, about three weeks now? He's played well. Um, Jamel Smith got called up and scored a goal the other night. Um, Justin Dowling, who I don't know if he'll be back with Dallas next year. He'll be probably be back with whichever organization gives him the best chance to be on an NHL roster. But if you're looking for something to actually watch for and look over the final three games, it's who's going to who's going to kind of start to lay a nice baseline to build into next year's training camp to win that job and be the Adam Cracknell next year, the guy who we don't expect to be on this NHL roster but wins a fourth-line job? Because there's going to be spots open. I don't know if it's necessarily a guy that we wouldn't expect, but a guy that we didn't expect coming into this year to get any NHL minutes, and that's Jamel Smith. He's up Mm -hmm. and he's doing a nice job again. And, I mean, it's kind of – when you think about it in the big picture grand scheme of things, it's kind of silly to say player X or player Y can win themselves a job in these next three games. But obviously, I mean, and this is more of a, uh, more of a construct than it, or more of a uh, abstract construct than anything grounded in reality. But I mean, you always, you want to, if you're one of these guys, you want to end the season well and head into the off season with a little bit of momentum on your side that you can carry into your training and then hopefully carry that over into preseason next year but he's the I mean he's a player I mean front and center that I would think of for that you look at the way he plays the game I feel like he'd be a perfect fourth line player the way that he's kind of shown himself this year both in the NHL and the AHL um not necessarily a fourth line role but I look at a guy like Jason Dickinson to see what he could do because he's a guy who depending on what they do with Patrick Sharp and Alish Hemsky in the offseason he's a guy who not necessarily a bottom six role, but he's a guy who could probably play his way into a potential top six thing. And then, mm-hmm. I mean, you look at, I would just, I mean, all the young guys on the team, you just, you want to see him play well to end out the season. Julius Honka, Stephen Johns, Patrick Nemeth, Jamie Alexiak, whoever ends up in the lineup out of the revolving door. You just, you want to see him end the season well and create some positive momentum into next season, which I mean, ultimately it may not even matter depending on who the coach ends up being, but you never know. 
And, like, I have a theory on Jamel Smith. I think Jamel's – you talk about who could be the coach next year. I think that's a really good point. Um, Jamel Smith's a great story. Before this season started, I thought he would never play an NHL game. I will openly admit that. I thought he got sent down to the ECHL last year. I saw him play in the AHL. I thought he would never play a single NHL game. Not Nonetheless, play 14 what he's played this year. He's got three goals. I was, I was wrong on what Jamel – Jamel Smith proved me wrong. He proved a lot of people wrong. I thought he would never play an NHL game. Now, and he's played well when he's been up here. He's played his game. But I also wonder, too, um, I get the feeling that he's a guy Lindy likes. Just I, I think Jamel Smith is a guy that Lindy Ruff likes. He's a guy that Lindy Ruff likes to use in his lineup. He's a guy Lindy Ruff wants to play. And just from a coaching perspective, I don't know if the next coach, and obviously management makes the decision on who comes up and who goes down, but the coach can be part of that conversation and change how the perception of a player Jamel Smith's a guy, I don't know, I think he may have played more games this year and got more opportunities because Lindy Ruff liked him. And that's just something we have to think about um, with who might be the coach next year. That's true. Um, but that's why I think it's important for him to come up and show himself now. I mean, yeah. obviously, his his first uh, go-around in the NHL this year, he I feel like he acquitted himself well. So it would be good for him to kind of not necessarily set a baseline, but... Um, just kind of show what he can do at the NHL level so that way he kind of has that in his back pocket going into training camp next year when we're assuming there's going to be a new staff who may not necessarily know much about him. He's a, uh, yeah, and I mean, he's a, I, I think he's, he certainly, and he definitely earned his, first, I mean, he earned his opportunity. And I just, my point is not that Jamel Smith was on the roster because Lindy Ruff, Lindy Ruff said he had to be on the roster. My point is that, I think he was like Lindy Ruff. How a coach likes a certain player depends on how much opportunity he's going to get, things like that. Um, but Smith, at his best, he can be a very good penalty killer. He can be, he can score shorthanded goals. He can, he can be a reliable guy that you could put on that third, fourth line. He could play left wing. He could play right wing. He could play center. You could kind of use him in any spot. And, or even, or even possibly next year, he could be that swing guy. He could be that guy who is going to be. We're going to say, you're not, you're not on the NHL roster start next season, but you're the 13th forward. You're the, or the 14th forward. You're the, the first injury call up. You're the guy getting the call. I think he could definitely lay a baseline for all of that. Um, I know I'm, I'm rambling a little bit about this, but it, it's it's kind of. It's it's interesting to see how he progresses because. It's a really good story if he makes the NHL opening night roster, and I'd love to see it. It'd be a great story if he makes the NHL opening night roster next season, but it just, I rambled quite a bit there, I realize. Keep talking for a sec, because you're kind of flubbering in and out right now, so I'm just trying to wait for this to buffer. Keep talking about Jamel Smith and continue to mess up my point that I've, that I've failed to make three, three sentences in a row now. No, not necessarily. Okay, you're better now. You just you got all gargly there for a second, and it was it was like the uh, video stream was moving about a second and a half faster than the internet was. Ah, okay. But more of the story of that internet mess up and of my flubbed point there on Jamel Smith. Jamel Smith, great story if he makes the NHL roster next season. Let's see if he can prove prove that this is something he can do next season and. I think he's a guy, if he's got three goals in 14 games, if he, uh, 
if he had four or five goals, I think it's a no-brainer he's up here next year. I just think it's can he finish Can he finish a little bit more? That's another thing that's part of his game as well. What's more likely, that they fill out the bottom six with guys from Cedar Park or they look for veteran help outside to fill it out? Um, I think it might be a mix. I think you might get – I think there might be – I think Remy Ellie is up here next year. I think he's – kind of done a nice job to win a spot I think I don't think Jason Dickinson has won a spot yet because Jason Dickinson has played very passively um it seemed like when he's been up here um and now Jason Dickinson is also a year less than a year removed from hip surgery so we don't know what what he'll be like coming coming into the fall so I think they go and sign another I think they sign a player who's in the Adam Cracknell mode who could be to create that internal competition where there's a spot here that's going to go to a kid from Cedar Park or it's going to go to a vet. It's going to go to the uh, AHL, NHL vet, who a guy who's 30-something who will give him a nice fat AHL salary, two-way salary where he'll make $400,000 in the AHL or $600,000 in the NHL and uh, create that internal competition. Uh, Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. It's like, you're gargly again. Okay, my internet's been real wonky today. I don't know why. But the reason I ask is you look at last year, how they kind of did the, um, we're going to go with the kids mode, and they let (laughs) Vernon Fiddler and Colton Sevier walk, and obviously we can kind of see how that worked out. And we we talked a couple times this year about how that pipeline to Cedar Park isn't necessarily ripe with guys who are kind of in that quadruple A mode where they're that quadruple A is a bad way to say it because that kind of implies that they're just career minor leaguers but you know what I mean they're in that they're lacking of the player who is kind of beyond the cusp and who's just kind of biding his time right now quote-unquote overriping as this front office Mm -hmm. likes to call it there's not really a lot of those guys down there so that's just my key. That was just what I was. I was curious about is if they feel like they're going to be more plush in that next year, or if they feel like they need outside help to kind of round out their roster. Oh, I mean, you look at if you take a look at the forward group in Texas right now with with the group that's up right now, um, the guys still down with the AHL team are not ready for the NHL, and I don't know if they will be. I mean. The one who might be, and I thought might get a call up, is Matty Stransky. But I don't think, I don't know if Matty Stransky skates well enough to be an NHL player. He's he's a he's he's a smart player and does the right things, but I don't know if, if he skates well enough to play with the style that the Stars want to play, and if he can if he can succeed at the NHL level. Um, Dennis Gurionov, I don't want him up next year. I think he needs to be. If he earns a spot, great, but I don't think you pencil a spot for him. He's got to earn it. And um, other than that, you look at their forwards. I mean, Travis Morin is, nev- is, 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 is aged past being an NHL option, and they don't really have – they don't have the, – the guys who are up here right now are the guys who would be the options next year. There's not the depth there that you need to say, like, okay, it's a five-, six-person competition. Uh, that makes sense. So, and I mean, I guess the wild card here is if they're able to lure Val back from mm-hmm. Russia. 
that is the big wild card. I mean, that'll be... Because Val, I think, will be back next year or the year after. It just depends on whether... On who the coach is and how how motivated Val is to work his way out of that KHL contract. Well, yeah, I would hope so, because I feel like if he's not back after next season, then he's probably not going to be back. That's fair. That's a fair assessment. So that'll be that'll be a fun one to watch this offseason. Yeah. We, we, we talked about those guys. We talked about those 4A players, and you used that 4A line, and that brings me to a point. I want to talk a little bit more about Justin Dowling, and I was – uh, someone I was reminded of this today, and I was looking up the uh, the story I wrote about him when he signed last year because Justin Dowling was a four A player in the thirty team NHL, and the in, but in the thirty one team NHL, Justin Dowling might be a fourth line center somewhere. I don't think that spots with Dallas, um, just because of uh, of the number of centers they have here. There's with the amount of centers, there's Eakin, there's Sagan, there's there's Foxa, there's Shore, there, there's Spaz. I mean, I can just continue to list centers. They have Cracknell play center. There's, there's not a center spot for Dowling on this team next year. But he's a guy who may have played himself into being a fourth-line center with another NHL team last year. And, and I wanted to pull up the quote that I had dug up from uh, right when he signed uh, last. When he signed last June, I talked to him about, well, when he signed last July, I talked to him about, why he signed a one-year deal. And the direct quote from Dowling at the time is, I like the opportunity it gives me to prove myself. I know I can compete and try to make the roster in Dallas to play in the NHL. And if not this year, I think it opens up way more options for me in the future when expansion happens next summer. That could lead to an NHL job with Dallas or another team. And I think he's, I think he's earned that. I think he's played well enough to be a fourth-line center somewhere else. Um, I just don't think the numbers work out for him to be in Dallas next year. That makes sense, and I think that's something that, I mean, I wasn't really thinking about, and I don't think a lot of other people are thinking about, is there's going to be 23 more NHL jobs next season. So it's not that that causes the talent pool to be diluted a ton, but it means that you're going to be looking at almost an average of one roster spot per team where there's a guy who would not have been on the roster last year who's going to be on the roster mm-hmm. next year. And with, so that's it, a good point. Yeah, and with the Stars, that one more roster spot, it could be a forward. It could be it could be a defense. I mean, who knows? It, this, the Vegas could decide they're going to take Jamie Alexiak if, he's, if, if left exposed. It, it could be, um, and then all of a sudden... Vegas almost did the Stars a favor by actually limiting their defenseman problem and, and forcing the Stars into a decision of some sort that the Stars have never been able to make themselves. Um, it's it's going to be it's interesting to see how that's going to shake up with everything. And we're going to do we'll do way more on the expansion draft once those rosters come out two months from now and who's been protected and everything like that. We'll have a lot of fun with that then. Um, but the uh, But the uh, sorry with uh, with the other interesting thing, just with Vegas, and it comes into play that we're gonna see is how are teams going to, going to how are teams gonna play, and are they gonna be more patient with with guys you might resign and things like that? Who are those guys who would never be taken? Who wouldn't be taken? Like the Justin Dallins of the world, they are not gonna be they're not gonna be taken in the expansion draft, but. Because of Vegas, are, are teams going to wait longer to sign those guys? Just because are they going to wait till after the expansion draft's done? Are they going to wait to see how things shake out? It might just affect all of the uh, kind of shakeup from 
from top to bottom. It's just an interesting thought, I guess. That's true. I'm just, I'm looking, I'm glad that they decided to be public about that whole process because that's going to be a real fun three days to pay attention to. Well, this podcast isn't going to post till after two <laughs> Dogs. Uh-oh. Dogs. All right, they're quiet. This podcast isn't isn't going to post until after two p.m. So I can talk about this now. I just I just got I just got word that at two o'clock today, Justin Dowling's actually being sent down to Texas. So for all that conversation we just had, he's now, <laughs> which I guess uh, means Alish Hemsky is now, Alish Hemsky's now healthy enough to play three games this week. That's good news, I guess. Time to control out delete the podcast. Not control out delete. I think my point is still valid. He was an emergency recall. He was an emergency recall, and so he had to be. Uh, once Hemsky returned, he had to go down. It was that's how the emergency right, recalls right. work after the trade deadline. So it was. That's. Uh, I think my point's still valid, though. Justin Dowling could be a fourth line center in the NHL somewhere, but Alishemsky's back this week to play the final three games this week. So I guess that's something else for us to watch to see if Alishemsky looks good enough to earn a contract. Now he'll have a contract next season, but. Should the Stars be the team? I'll, I'll ask you that. Should should the Stars give Alex Hemsky a contract? If you're looking at him right now, in his body of work since he's returned from injury, no, no. What number? What number is is that a blanket no, or is that a? Is there any terms where you'd give him a contract? No. See, I'd give him a two. If I can get him for a two million dollar deal, I'd do it. I wouldn't even give him that. You don't think as so? Far as, as far as I'm concerned, just based on his body of work with Dallas and his injury history, I wouldn't give him anything close to that. I'd give him, I'd offer him a, like a 1.3 base salary incentive-laden contract and say, take it or leave it. I'd offer him, I mean, I'd see... If you could get that type of deal, that'd be great. I don't think you're going to get it at one point three. I think he'd be worth a two million dollar deal, but I think he. I think hypothetically, I don't think both. But I wouldn't bring back both him and Patrick Sharp. I would bring back one or the other. I don't think you can. There's no way you could bring back both of those guys. If Sharp, if Sharp's going to be, I mean, if Sharp's going to be back, fine. Maybe you sign him instead. Um, but and also around that two million dollar range, I just. I think if, if Sharp is going to retire, which I think might actually be a possibility, who knows? We'll see how he returns from the hip surgery. Hemsky could be worth that $2 million, and I think you'd be able to get a hometown discount with him considering they gave him $4 million this year basically to not play most of the year. Do you know the last time that Alice Hemsky either posted 50 points in a season or posted within spitting distance of a point per game? 2010-11 season. So this seven guy, years? Yeah. Seven years? Six yeah. years? And he's... I, for $2 million, if, you're gonna, if he's going to be a third-line guy, based on his production, you can find better use for that money. That's a fair point. I, I'd still offer him the $2 million. We're not looking at a guy like just say Victor Arvidsson, for example, who came into the season looking to be a bottom six guy who was on the cheap 
and on the upswing of his career, and he ended up exploding for a huge year. You're not going to get that type of upside with Alice Hemsky. He's going to be 34 when next season starts. He's over the hill. He's been his. We're not talking about a guy who had a freak injury this year. We're talking about a guy who's consistently had injury problems for most of the last eight years. There's no, I mean, he had 39 points last year. We're not talking about a big upside to this contract, to any contract that he gets. We're not talking about a high upside player. It's high risk for minimal reward, and I don't see a reason to commit any sort of money to that whatsoever. If I'm going to have to defend my point, my blanket no of, I'm not offering him a contract. I would not. No, I, especially if you get especially if you get Yanmark back next year. There's no reason to have Alice Hemsky back on this team for any for seven figures, and I doubt that he's a guy who's going to take a nine hundred thousand dollars salary. That's a fair point. No, I, I see your point. I. I think there's that one spot there on the roster that you give to either, and I might be looking. I might. I'm probably overvaluing a leadership role, and I admit that I'm probably looking at this in an old school hockey mentality and overvaluing a leadership role. But I think there's a leadership role there for either Hemsky or Sharp. I don't think both, but I think there's a leadership role for one of them for two million dollars a year. Do you remember why they brought him in? They brought him in because. To he was play with Jason be, Spezza. Because and he doesn't the, play with Jason Spezza. Because of the 20 games that they had together at the end of the 2013-14 season. I hated this contract when they signed him. I was like, oh, you know what, maybe I guess there's kind of an upside, but he gets hurt a lot, and you know he's really not that great of a player anymore. I don't really know why you gave him $4 million. And it turned out exactly how I thought it was going to turn out. He topped out at 39 points. I mean, he's, he was relatively healthy for the last two years and then missed almost this entire season. And you brought him in to play with a guy who he's not even playing with anymore. There's, I don't, I don't see any sort of upside to bringing him back next year. I'm also, and I'm going to admit that something, something in my mind, I'm call it recency bias. It's, it's playoff bit. I, I, I admit right now, and this is something I'm realizing as we're talking on the podcast, I give way too much credit to Hemsky for, he was very good on that. Him and Foxa and Roussel were very good on that line in the playoffs last year. And we've seen in the past what happens when you over-reward guys for a playoff run. There's lots of guys in the NHL who have had a stretch of good 20 good games and then have been rewarded big contracts and were never worth that money. Um, so I admit there might be there's probably that bias I need to drive out of my head because I'm think I keep thinking of Hemsky and I think about the effectiveness he had on that line in the playoffs uh, when they beat Minnesota and they played seven games against St. Louis last year, and but he had four points in thirteen games. It, he was good from a defensive from a defensive point of view, yes, but it's not like he was a guy that was making dents on the score sheet where you're looking at him and saying this is a guy we need to keep around. But this team has been so bad defensively. No, no, this 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 Dallas Stars team has been so bad defensively, and so someone who's good defensively is actually somebody I want on the team. I mean, the Stars haven't been good defensively for three years. Yeah, but how good defensively is? Are you like what? What's the measurable defensive benefit are you going to get from a guy who may or not may or may not end up missing half the year next year just because that's the, based on his track record tells me he's going to end up missing a chunk of time next year. That's fair. No, that that is fair. You'd like to think that uh, you'd like to think that he would be healthy enough, but obviously there's no track record there that he hasn't been. Like he hasn't been able to. Million, 
if I'm going to pay $2 million mm-hmm. for a third-line winger solely because of his defensive impact, I want it to be a guy who's not going to miss more than seven games because of injury. That's fair. I don't I like the I term. Do. I use the term return on investment a lot in this yeah. podcast, which I don't really know why I do that because I take I took literally one semester of economics in college and I didn't like it at all and I don't care about it whatsoever. But that's just that's not a smart investment to make, in my humble opinion. I really don't like that you're swaying my opinion live on a podcast right now. This is the second time you've done this. I'm very persuasive. I know and. I don't know. Remember, remember when you were growing up and your mother said, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all? I have a very similar outlook on that. If I'm not going to say something smart, I'm just not going to say anything at all. That's true. So, so whenever I speak about something, I genuinely believe it to be true. No, and that's a fair point. I don't, I don't like that you're swaying my opinion on this live on that. But I, I'm starting to agree with you, and I look at the, at the numbers, and I'm going to have to kind of... It's something I'll have to look at, but I don't like... like... If, you give him, if you look, if Jim Nill looks at Alice Hemsky after the season and says, look, we'll give you a $1.3 million base salary with this, this incentive, this incentive, this incentive, blah, 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 blah. Whatever, that's fine. I'm fine with that. $1.3 million is not that much more. You're, you could, if you compare that to, say, Jamel Smith, you're, that's an extra $700,000 against the cap, which isn't a big deal. And we're not talking about a team who's gen- generally up against the salary cap. Well, so if he hits those bonuses, there's not. We're not talking about a situation where there's going to be bonus overages heading into next season. That's the only type of contact- contract I would give Alice Hemsky. Is you get this base pay, and anything else is going to be extra that you're going to have to earn by being in the- by staying in the lineup. And I get that for some situations, saying you have to earn that by staying in the lineup is not really the right way to phrase that because it's not like he's out there trying to get hurt, but. That's the only way I would bring him back, that I'd even consider bringing him back. It's, those are all really fair points. I know. It's it's not that I've thought about this a lot, but that's – I just – I didn't like – like I said, I didn't like the signing when they made it because I figured that at some point during the three years he was either going to get hurt or he was just going to not be very effective, and it was a little bit of both at different times, I guess. Yeah. No, very fair points. I'm starting to agree with you. You know, that's um, another thing. I I, meant, I just mentioned Yanmark, and I kind of did it without even thinking about it. But there's another guy that, when you if you're looking to pencil in the bottom six next year, that's another guy you got to talk about too. He, I think he's he's a huge addition. We talked a little bit about him last week. He's a huge addition for this team if he's fully healthy. If he can come back and he can be what he was the as during his rookie season, be a huge boost for this team. He was. Very good defensively, actually put up some points and made up for, not only was he good defensively himself, he made up for a lot of defensive deficiencies that other players on his line would have. Because you could put him with a guy like a Jason Spezza, you could put him with a Tyler Sagan, you could put him with, you could put him with a guy who is thinking, is, is only thinking about their next offensive chance and he'd kind of make up for it a little bit. Um, yeah. that's, a, that's a huge boost for this team if he's back. And I hate plus minus as a stat because it's relatively useless. Unless it kind of helps make my point, then I'll use it. 
among last year, he was tops among all stars forwards and plus minus. So to kind of give credence to that defensive theory, and he only had twenty nine points, so it's not like we're talking about yeah, you know, he's plus twelve out there with eighty nine points like Jamie Benn. He was twelve poor. He he was plus twelve with twenty nine points. So we're talking about a pretty solid defensively responsible player. Well, and, and to your point earlier, he's he's an RFA this year. He had twenty nine points last year. If you sign him for what? If you sign him for even if you sign him for a million, which it would probably be closer to a nine hundred thousand dollar contract, that's twenty nine points for nine hundred thousand dollars, as opposed to the two million I was trying to give Alishemsky, who topped out at thirty nine. See, now I'm making points for you. And I, I'm going to pull up cat friendly here real quick because I don't. I I think that he should. What's he make? What's he? He's like six hundred something. Seven hundred and thirty-three thousand dollars against the cap right now. A, yeah, he's not an entry level. Yeah, so I mean, he's definitely. I mean, just based on last year, I mean, you'd think that he'd get a raise, but I mean, based on missing this whole year and the fact that who knows if he's even going to come into training camp and be able to play again, I don't. I bet that he. I almost feel like he'd be a guy who'd accept his qualifying offer. I guarantee you'd accept a qualifying offer. So that's, there you go. Would he, he'd end up getting a little. He'd end up being less than a million then, which would be nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, that's fair. That's that's that, and it's going to be an interesting off season because they're going to have to do. They're going to have to rebuild a little, quite a bit of the forwards in this group and figure out who they want and who they want to bring back, things like that. Because um, obvi- obviously there's names that... Um, speaking of guys who are going to be overvalued, Patrick Eves scored thirty goal- scored his 30th goal of the season last night. Nice. Patrick Eves, Patrick Eves is going to be... And I like Patrick Eves, and I think Patrick Eves is a great key to any team, but Patrick Eves is going to... Is going to his value is going to be way higher than Patrick Eves should be valued in the, in, in the offseason. Yeah, I was going to say, he might end up... I mean, we talked about when he got traded about how he likes Dallas and how he's a guy who could end up coming back next year. He might be... A, he might have been a guy who <laughs> played himself out of coming back to Dallas. Just, I mean, especially if you look at... I mean, Anaheim's in... Obviously, they're, gonna, they're going to the playoffs. And he's a guy... He's going to... He could end up being that guy this year in the same vein as a Brian Bickle or insert any guy who went off in the playoffs and then got unjustly rewarded for it the following season who ends up getting a three-year, $9 million contract next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, good for Patrick Eves, but he's gonna be, he's reached a point where he's raised his value above what he should be worth to the Stars. Uh, the uh, Overall, the Stars, like I wrote something about this that I think supposed to publish today on WFA about the uh, looking back at the stars four deadline deals they made uh, between uh, Patrick Eves for a conditional second which becomes a first if the Ducks reach the conference finals Oduya for a second round uh, for a fourth round pick and Mark McNeil uh, Lori Korpikoski for uh, Dylan Hetherington and the uh, and obviously the Jory Ben for Greg Patterson in a fourth round pick deal Hindsight being 2020, they actually, I still don't like the, I still am not a fan of the, uh, I'm still not a fan of the kind of, I don't really see what, Greg Patterson's played okay lately, but I'm still, I don't see really what he adds. Um, I'm still not the biggest fan of the Jordy Ben deal, um, and I understand it was for expansion, and I understand that's probably why they did it, but with the other deals, 
you have, I think, getting a potential first-round pick with Patrick Eves in hindsight is going to be is going to pan out nicely if it becomes a first-round pick, obviously. Uh, and you talk about a steal. That Heatherington trade for Lori Korpakowski has been by far the best deal the Stars made at the deadline because Korpakowski has was playing above his level in Dallas. And he's gone to Columbus and kind of been the player we expect him to be. In eight games with Columbus, he has zero points. He's been a healthy scratch quite often. While the Stars picked up a guy who's now a top ten, one of their one of the Stars' top ten prospects. Um, so I'm actually giving Jim a little bit of credit right now, looking back at the deadline roughly a month later, saying they did do a decent enough job of starting to build and say, okay, we're going to try and make our team better for next year for two years from now they actually did achieve a little bit of that with the seller mode at the deadline which may have been a little skeptical of that when the deals first happened because especially since what Oduya has done I really think there was no value for Oduya at all I think he was I think Chicago is the only team that made that truthfully actually made an offer looking at what he's done I wouldn't doubt that but yeah I mean we talk about the trade at the time and Dylan Hetherington's a guy who's I mean he's not a a guy that you look at and say he's a highly touted prospect, but he's a guy that you can definitely look at look at him and say this is a guy who has a future on an NHL roster. And to get that for a guy you signed in the wee hours before the season started is obviously it's a very good move to get a tangible player as opposed to, you know, you look at getting Jordy Ben for a fourth round draft pick that you don't necessarily know what that's gonna turn into yet. I like it. I mean and I mean He's not really a guy who's probably going to challenge for a roster spot next year, but sooner than later, I think he'll be in that discussion. And I think Hetherington's a guy who I kind of made the comparison where he's an NHL player at some point, no matter. He's he's going to be an NHL player. The question for me is whether he becomes the guy who plays 20 games a year and is the AHL and NHL tweener, or does he become the guy who plays 80 games a year? I mean, I think he's got all the tools to be an NHL player. Now it's up to him to determine which type of NHL player he'll be. Is he going to be a career NHL, or is he going to be the guy who bounces back and forth a little bit and is called up for injuries? Um, and that's a really good base to work with, though. Yeah, it is. That is definitely, definitely strong. I will agree with that. I want to get. I want to uh, end this podcast with a quick. Uh, give some love to the Idaho Steelheads because now the the Stars ECHL affiliate, the Idaho Steelheads, now with uh, the Red Wings missing the playoffs this year. With the Red Wings missing the playoffs this year, the Idaho Steelheads have the longest active playoff streak in pro hockey. Interesting. Steelheads have never missed the playoffs in their 20-year history. They already clinched a spot in the playoffs for this season. And everyone wonders. I know sometimes people wonder why the Stars are affiliated with the team in Boise, Idaho, which is not terribly close. And that's the reason right there. Because the team consistently... And the Stars only typically have two or three actual prospects down there. But the ones who are there are actually going to play in the playoffs, are going to play in a winning atmosphere... And, for example, we talk about Landon Bowe, who may be, who I think is going to be the AHL starting goalie next year, and maybe could be, hopefully, Philip Grubauer's backup in two years, um, is, uh, is going to, is, they could have called him up to play in the AHL, but they're keeping him in Idaho, and he's going to play the rest of the season and play in the playoffs there. 
and they have that option because they have a they have consistently have an ECHL affiliate that makes the playoffs, and that's really all you can ask for in your ECHL affiliate because development. If a guy ends up in the ECHL, he's either a goalie or he's a guy who has lost his way and needs to find has lost his way and may or may not find his way back. For example, Jamel Smith spent four games in the ECHL last year. Um, most prospects who end up in the ECHL never play in the NHL, but what the Stars have gotten out of their ECHL affiliate has been, you can't ask for anything more. And uh, that might even, that that 20-year playoff streak, that might even be one of the longest in all of professional sports, actually. I don't know who, I don't know any other, I don't know, I don't know about, I can't think of, obviously not an NFL team has made it 20 straight years. I can't think of, I don't know about minor league baseball or anything like that, obviously, but that, that 20 year streak of making the playoffs for Idaho might be up there as the highest in all the sports right now. I, yeah, I couldn't tell you because I mean, if we're, yeah. you got to look at all levels of minor league baseball, D league basketball and all that stuff. And I don't care to do that, but you yeah. probably wouldn't be in. So good for the Steelheads. Um, and, it's that's one of the things that's worked well that's affiliated with this franchise. Um, that's all I've got for today. Anything else you want to say, Ryan, for in the final podcast of the regular season? Thanks for sticking with us all year, and I'm sorry that you guys had to watch this star season. But you know what? It will make longer. the off season fun. We'll have we'll actually have. And we talked about it after we went off air last week. The podcast will probably be a at least once a month in the off season, and probably maybe more, just depending on events. Like we'll probably do something around the expansion draft. We'll do something around the actual NHL draft. And stars are actually going to be in a spot where things could actually be exciting with that. They'll likely have a high pick. The expansion draft will really tell us what's going to happen. And obviously, free agency. Jim Miller always seems to make something. Always seems to do something the first week of July that will lead to us to have a podcast about something. So, everyone, thanks for listening. We'll do our season post mortem autopsy next week, and uh, have a great week.